0: Hello world! Welcome, welcome back! It's been too long since we all met on 300 Questions. I'm so sorry, but it has been a crazy ride in my life. With starting New Wave Leadership and revolutionizing the business world, it has been just crazy. So 300 Questions had to be paused for a few weeks and will probably be paused for another few weeks after this beautiful episode that I'm going to introduce to you in a second. Just because I also want to put together a new exciting guest list for you so that when you watch Three Questions, you are absolutely blown away by the insights that you get. Sounds good, right? So let's jump into this episode. I absolutely love my conversation with my beautiful friend Kim because she is talking about a topic that is so crucial in today's world. How can we shift systems big time? How can we really bring the change that has been spoken about for decades. Inclusion, equality, equity, whatever you call it, whatever you feel needs to be done, there seems to be a bottleneck in really changing the bigger systems sustainably. So Kim has her own very beautiful and very insightful perspective on it and is a real expert in the field as well. So jump right in and take out of it whatever you need If you're working in a field where you have been seeing that change is hard, change is heavy, change is difficult, you will get amazing ideas from just listening to our conversation. So jump right in and have fun and speak soon. Mm, And there we are, live for another episode of Three Candid Questions. I'm so excited because actually it's been a while. I haven't recorded an episode for several weeks and I was like, huh. When is the time again that I meet someone who really has to be on Three Candid Questions? And here she is,
1: Kim. Hello. <laughs> Hello, Sabrina. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to be that like energetic person that you're bringing into the space.
0: Yes, I'm also very excited that it turned out to be you who is coming into the space today. And before we jump into any deeper conversation of which I'm very excited to see where it takes us. Mm-hmm. I just would
1: love for you to introduce yourself to our lovely audience. Absolutely. So, um I am I'm I am a multi-passionate individual. Hmm. I am somebody who has dabbled in a lot of different things in my doingness to find my beingness.
2: Hmm. And so,
1: who am I? That's who I am. What I <laughs> do <laughs> What I do is I am a life and business strategist for entrepreneurs and business owners and creatives who are creating social good in the world through their work. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I came to that, and I know we're going to talk about this a little bit in our conversation today, but I came to that with a background in um, entertainment law and nonprofit and um we'll talk more about how I kind of made that journey I'm sure um but that is who I am and what I'm currently doing
0: yes and it already shows like that there's so much diversity in your being but also yeah. as a result in your doing and um that takes me sort of to the first question that popped into my head as I was listening to you mm-hmm. um when you work with business owners, creatives and entrepreneurs, what do you feel the awareness of of like how their being and they're doing is actually, you know, related very strongly?
1: Yeah. So I find that most people show up in all of their doing. They mm. are not actually showing up in their being um, or they're just starting to experience their beingness. Um, when. We are not conditioned to be in our beingness in in our global culture. Mm-hmm. Um, it is just not something that is um, encouraged. It's not taught. It's not um it's not even something we talk about, right? When people say, "Tell me who you are," that question, we mm-hmm. we answer it by what we do. So we don't talk about who we are. And very often, that's that space that uh, the people that I work with show up in. They're they're starting to understand that there is something deeper, right? That's we sometimes talk, talk about purpose and meaning. Mm. right. And And really what the essence of it is is they're starting to play with their beingness. They're starting to play with their humanness. Mm. Um, and to get to that layer for themselves, Outside of what they do and then tie it back in to what they do once they've actually embraced the beingness. So mm-hmm. it it kind of creates a full circle because from our beingness, we can create even more meaningful work in the world.
0: Yeah. I remember this quote that you know is often used in the used in our space, like you be, then you do, and then you have whatever it is you dream of. Yep. But I was just thinking, like, let's go a little deeper from your perspective. Why is the.
1: I think Mercury is playing with me right. now. Yeah, there we go. Hi, (laughs) we're back. I heard why is the?
0: (laughs) Yes. So let me let me jump right back into the question. So um, why do you think It is so constrictive for people to just be in the doing it's a global culture I totally agree we see it all the time when people talk about themselves it's just about the work they have done or currently do and all that's sort of related to that but the being sort of is not easily um, taken like seen from that you know who is this person really Mm -hmm. and um, why do you think it's so important to step out of that box of just acting and then really learn how to be like, what, what comes from that? What's the bigger thing we can create from that?
1: Ooh. Um, <laughs> well, I, I, had, so I'll speak from it from my perspective. What happened for me is mm-hmm. I had been in the doing for much of my life and I was didn't jump from job to job, but I did move from from full career to full career. Mm -hmm. And I was searching for something. Mm -hmm. And I thought I would find that external to myself in what I was doing in the world, because that's right. That's what we do as adults is we do stuff. We work, we we create things, we're creating relationships, but then there's also the biggest part of it is really the work that we do. Mm -hmm. And so I was looking for that external validation, that external Thing that would make me feel whole and connected and mm-hmm. present and um, deepen my relationships and deepen um, my understanding um, of humanity, really, because that's who I am. I'm a very philosophical person. I want to understand people, mm-hmm. um, and I never found it in what I was doing. That wasn't that wasn't the answer. The answer for me was going inside. And to really clearly, and when I say to understand myself, it's not like a one and done. Um, you know, there's a, a gazillion assessments, there's a gazillion ways to go out there and, and have personality tests and whatever and get a little mm-hmm. glimpse of who you are. But those things change over time with, with living, with experiencing life. We change, we adapt, mm-hmm. we grow. And so when I understand, when I first started to truly understand myself on a very deep level, and see that see how i can grow see how i can cha- change and adapt at my will that's when everything changed it wasn't about anything external to me it wasn't about the work that i was doing that wasn't what brought meaning into my life i brought meaning into my life by understanding myself and and that was what allowed me to have much deeper, much more meaningful relationships with people, with things, with experiences, Mm -hmm. as well as to deepen my relationship with work and what I do so that I could continue to find meaning in what I'm doing based on my experience. Does that make sense?
0: Yes, absolutely. And I think it's very powerful what you just said, like, you know, if I think of the corporate world in, in most um, societies across the globe, it's really just the running, 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 the doing without even ever connecting it to our being. And that's probably why so many people deep down, if they were to stop and say like, hey, how am I really feeling? Mm, there's probably some emptiness. There's some sadness, you know, some fear, some discontent. However, it manifests, but there's definitely something that they feel is missing. mm mm-hmm. So, you know, anyone listening to this conversation later might say, like, ah, oh, maybe that's it, you know, yeah. maybe I should stop and go into that space. But what it also really I was thinking as I was listening to you is, like, the meaning in your work coming from your being is that where the whole idea of, you know, making change, creating, like, working with people who want to create a better world, making a difference um, where that came from, or was that always part of you to some extent?
1: So I think, I don't remember a time that I didn't want to make the world a better place. Mm. Um, I remember my, pretty sure she was my second grade teacher. I like, I, it it gets blended in my head, but I'm pretty mm. sure Mrs. Brooks was my second grade teacher. And she taught us, and this was in the seventies. And she taught us um, that, uh, she taught us about Martin Luther King. this is a Black woman teaching us about Martin Luther King from a very different perspective in the 70s than anybody else was actually learning about Martin Luther King. And she was teaching us about activism and standing up and using our voices. At that time, my mom was also um, a member of the National Organization of Women and um, fighting for the Equal Rights Amendment in the United States. And um, she was one of the founding members um, in the chapter in our area. And I was like the, the token mascot that would come along to all the meetings. Mm-hmm. So I saw activism and I saw people making a change and and making a difference and fighting for for justice and for humanity um and uh and civil rights from a very early age. So I th- I think that's just who I am and have been my whole life is to know that that is what excites me, drives me. Means the most to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have to know a human being to want to fight for them, and that's that's who I am. And so I went into, I went into the entertainment industry wanting to make the world a better place through entertainment, through joy, because mm-hmm. um, I'm also a joyful person. And um, I wasn't making that kind of difference. I was making money, and that was great, but that wasn't great. That was like. I I missed the mark. I wasn't doing it the way that I wanted to do it, Mm -hmm. and I and I didn't know the how, Um, and I didn't realize until later that how was the wrong question, and that (laughs) so I could have I could have maybe done what I wanted to do that way, Mm -hmm. but I didn't figure it out at that time. Um, I went from that into the practice of law, and um, in my uh, legal career, again. I wanted to fight for justice. I wanted I wanted a just world. I wanted a more equitable world, and um, I found that within the system, uh, within the legal system in the United States, I couldn't make the difference that I wanted to make. I would be just putting band-aids on things. I would just be doing triage, and that wasn't mm-hmm. at all what I wanted to do. Um, and. I left that and went into the nonprofit space, um, again, feeling like, okay, now I can get Mm. my hands dirty and get in there and really impact change. And again, I found a system that was not set up for the success of the people who needed the system to work. Um, It is um, founded in, um, in the idea of charity, the idea of those who have provide for the have-nots, but it also is founded in this idea that those who have make the rules for the have-nots. And the idea of have and have-nots does not sit well with me. And it also never sat well with me that people who are not inside of a community are making decisions on what that community needs Mm. and are trying to fix it from the outside. And I didn't have words for that before. coming out of being in that system, it's it's easier for me to see that that's exactly what was happening. and that's why I didn't it didn't sit well with me and I also knew I wasn't making a difference. I was being part of the problem by staying mm. in
2: that
1: system. Mm. So that's, yeah, those are all the reasons why it's like it kept yes. moving me forward forward towards what I'm doing now,
0: yeah. and um I'm very interested in like, the parallels between what you saw and experienced in the legal system where you felt like, hey, that system is really like keeping me from making a positive change and in the nonprofit then the same, like what were some of the parallels that you spotted where you said like, wow, that's like, you know, the same thing repeating itself to some extent?
1: Well, I mean, in a word, patriarchy, Um, Mm -hmm. white supremacy, Um, it was... It was a, it, it, what I had shared in terms of the nonprofit, it it was a bunch of people making decisions, arbitrary, completely arbitrary Mm. decisions for individuals without allowing their voices to be heard. Mm. And, um, it, it both became punitive, both became, um, steeped in scarcity, right? The individuals who, who, who had a need um, were in many ways being punished and kept in situations that were profiting those who were in power, those who mm-hmm. held the purse strings, those who held, um, the legal strings, um, and the policy strings. And, um, it's, it is the epitome of being unjust. Mm. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, I totally resonate with it because you know that when I lived in Kenya, I was also uh, for a while. I was in the nonprofit space too because I thought that's where I could make a difference as well. And it was just it just felt wrong. Everything about it felt so wrong from day one, yeah. in terms of you know seeing those big, super expensive jeeps with a uh, you know big organizations driving around and making decisions for the people who lived like in tin hearts or somewhere in remote areas, totally like worlds clashing, you know, mm-hmm. and worlds not meeting. But then one party saying, but our way is the only right one. And you know, if you want ABC, then this is how it's going to to be funded, only if ABC is done. And yeah, it just felt like totally taking the power away from whole communities. By approaching it
1: that way. So I I love money. I love nice things. I love Mm. fancy things. Absolutely. Um, And (laughs) I am not going to step into any community and say, you have to have all the same things that I have. So you have to do it the way that I did it. Mm. If you want this, you have to do it my way. I will step into a community and say, what do you want?
2: Mm -hmm.
1: how, how do we, how do we get there? And there, and I asked that, I'm really working hard on not asking the question how, because that actually gets us in trouble, I think a lot of the time, but Mm -hmm. what is it that, what is it that you want? What is it that you feel you need? How can we amplify your voice? How can we hear what you have to say? And this works in all communities, right? This is not, um, I mean, I know Sabrina, you both, we have, we have, done this in the racial divide. Mm. Um, I was talking with, um, I, I run a group called The Rising Visionaries and I was talking with a woman that is part of that who um, runs an organization um, dealing with sexual, sexual assault. And um, what she said spoke so deeply to me mm. because in that community, Nobody's asking those who um, survived the violence what they need, what they want.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: They're telling them that, what they need and what they want. Mm-hmm. And, and it's the same thing with those who perpetrated the violence. They're telling them what they, you know, here, here's how you can move forward. Mm-hmm. Versus what, is, what are the needs that you have to create a different life that this is not... Um, a continuing issue, mm. and so whatever community you're part of, I talked with another woman who's part of this group who deals with disaster recovery, and you know governments and and um, or very large organizations go in and tell those who have had the disaster happen to them what they need, mm. instead of listening to the community and hearing what they need. So we have this thing that it it goes to listening. It goes to shushing, (laughs) to shutting off for Mm -hmm. a minute and saying, I don't have the answer to everything. I can be here as a human being and be open to what somebody else might need Mm -hmm. and holding that space in earnest.
0: It's so interesting. I mean, when you know, I just had to think of another example, which is like real life. Um, here in Germany, where I'm based at the moment, there's a huge issue with daycare, kindergartens, Mm -hmm. you know, for small children, not enough stuff and burnt out stuff and total chaos, total chaos. And, um, also where my son goes, there's actually that issue. So constantly no daycare. And, uh, you know, teachers and children being stressed and parents, of course, as a result too. And there's this, you know, there's, when the issue was brought up, then there was this response, yeah, but the issue is everywhere, you know, and actually you are slightly better off because, um, you know, you maybe have like one or two more staff than even other places. And I was like, that's not the right response to such an issue, and it reminded me of what you just shared, like this, telling and talking and saying, like, yeah, but no, 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 no. Instead of saying, okay, we hear you. What do you need? You know, and maybe also, what do you think we can do? What oh can we gosh. do differently?
1: Yeah, solutions from inside the community are is where it is, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's where the solutions are. Now, they people within the community may not have figured out the how, may not have figured Mm -hmm. out the steps. And so having an um, unbiased opinion, I think Mm -hmm. that's the word I want to use, somebody who can come in and hear and then help facilitate, that's where support can come in. It's not coming in and telling somebody, telling an entire community what they can, what they need, what they, you know, what they think, what they shouldn't, all those things. It's like, stop Stop talking at us.
0: Mm. And why do you think, I mean, you just shared in the 70s, there was the, you know, the conversation in your school about Martin Luther uh, Luther King. Now still, we seem to have like very similar topics going on. What is the barrier? What needs to be removed so that it
1: can sort of flow for communities? Well, I think the barrier is still nobody's listening. I mean... Mm the the barrier is the there's this globally i feel like there's this energetic discord Mm -hmm. between this very and i'm going to use the terms masculine and feminine and i don't mean male female Mm -hmm. Um, this push of this dominant masculine energy which has had its place for centuries
2: mm-hmm. that
1: has pushed us through industrial revolutions, the fall of empires, the rise of other empires, like all that masculine energy that has gotten us to where we are now. Mm-hmm. And that is out of alignment with our next evolution
2: mm-hmm.
1: is, is really how I'm, how I'm feeling it. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I look and I see, and you know, my clients are women. I do have I, a couple of male clients, um, but they are—they um, themselves embody their divine feminine and their mm-hmm. divine masculine. Mm. And when I look and I see the individuals who are rising up, who are creating change, who are making a difference in the world, who are fighting the fight, maybe quietly, maybe in ways we don't even think they're fighting the fight, but they are. Mm. It's definitely coming from this place of a more, uh, of divine feminine leadership. Mm. And I, I think what is happening is right when, when the divine masculine is getting pushed up against by this divine feminine, which is definitely rising in numbers and in energy, it's a clash. They haven't figured out how to come together, right? How mm. to mesh and it's hard for us in our own bodies to exist with both our divine masculine and divine feminine and in flow and in synchronicity with one another. Imagine an entire planet trying to do the same thing, mm-hmm. especially given our histories.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: so to me, that whole concept of listening, that's the divine feminine. Mm pushing agendas having the right answer creating movement and momentum right that the the hustle culture the grind all of that is very masculine Mm. and so yeah that's kind of what i'm feeling
0: yeah i mean and bringing the two together is like really where the solutions are yes because then we have like the push Mm -hmm. for let's say a positive change Mm -hmm. But, after we have asked the questions and sort of are aligned on the direction this has to take. So you know, to me, that looks like if societies can or communities can embrace that perspective that you have just shared, that's where we have really sustainable interventions where mm-hmm. you know the community sees a proper change. And um it resonates a lot because I also grew up in you know in a community. Where people talked a lot about feminist cultures and making a change and Mm -hmm. you know already in the 80s climate change we have to take responsibility and activism and I always used to ask myself like why is it just about the woman why is it like the you know the feminine is like sort of that needs to be pushed and needs to be protected nothing against that but where are the Where's the masculine in that? Where's the other half of the population, so to speak, you know, that should also be part of the solution. So, Mm -hmm. you know, dividing is always, I mean, we have seen it in so many, you know, societies, whenever you want to divide something, it really creates the worst scenarios. So um, when you work with your clients who want to create like a social change, Mm what, what what is your approach there? Where do you begin to sort of bring it together?
1: Yeah. So it's interesting. We began with the doing. We actually mm-hmm. began with where where they are out of alignment with their doing. And in that examination, it's really about examining it, analyzing it, understanding that. We start to uncover those spaces of beingness mm-hmm. and where the beingness may be wounded or not even... Um, not even born yet. Right. But it's, it's, it's kind of gestating. And um, so allowing the beingness to start to, to kind of show through the cracks in the veneer, right. Cause we're dealing with problems that are happening within a, a within a business. Um, we start to understand that beingness and then we dive deep into the beingness and we start bringing threads of that beingness out into the doing. Mm. Like how is this impacting your business? How is this impacting your team? Sometimes we bring other team members in and we start working with their beingness and start to um, really knit back together um, a new way of doing that is steeped in being. Um, It creates the buzzwords of ease and flow, but it does create ease and flow um, it allows us to tap into that divine feminine and the di- divine masculine, mm-hmm. right? The beingness and the doingness are are also ways of saying divine masculine, divine feminine. I said mm-hmm. it backwards, but right, beingness is being more in your divine feminine and the doing is in your, more in your divine masculine. So allowing for that space for both to ex- coexist and work together. Um, and so it's a really interesting process because it does, it shows up by starting with, okay, what are the problems we're going to tackle? How can we start to strategize around some of these things? And as we're strategizing, the cracks start to show.
0: And so Mm. that
1: gives us the ability and the opportunity to dive deep and create the systemic change that actually fixes the problems long-term. Okay, so
0: yeah, it's it's really going peeling away the levels, like everything that's covering up this, uh, like the symptoms and understanding what the root cause is, so to speak, and then going really going from there. Mm-hmm. And um, I want to go back to the point you raised about asking the how mm-hmm. that, that sometimes actually creates challenges for us. You, can you like explain that a little in a little more detail?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's actually an experiment that I'm in right now for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, And it's something that I've recognized in myself and in those that I work with. Mm -hmm. Um, We automatically go to this place of how am I going to fix this? How is this going to work? How is this, um, right? I had shared with you about uh, a move that we were going to make. um, Mm -hmm. We're currently living in Montreal. We're going to move out to British Columbia. And um, we kept asking how. We were like, how Mm -hmm. does this, this this feels heavy, right? To do it right now. How is this going to work? And when we stopped asking how and we asked what, when, who, we just started asking different questions. We realized, oh, it's not supposed to happen right now. That's why Mm. the how feels like it's not working. Mm. The how will work itself out the way the how needs to work itself out. But that's not the question we need to ask. Why? Right? That's a great question to ask. We love asking that question. Um, (laughs) But there, well, there's a plethora of other questions that we can ask that creates mm. expansiveness. It creates openness. It creates opportunities for the how to show itself. But when we focus on the how, we're being too cognitive. Mm. We're trying to problem solve something that we don't have the totality of the information on.
0: Mm. Yeah, So that's where I see our sticking to. point. Yeah. And it's very powerful, again, when you go back to making a change in communities. As you said earlier, if we don't ask the how anymore, but really the what and the why and where and who, yep. you know, that takes us to the right, I don't know, the real needs mm-hmm. and then the people who can probably support changing that and the, the places we probably need to you know, facilitate whatever it is
1: that we want to facilitate.
0: But the how is very, it's very narrow and very restrictive,
1: yeah, it's so limiting. When we're only asking how, we're limiting ourselves. and um and we're we're creating, I, I do believe we create more problems by focusing on the how.
0: Mm. Yes, and actually come to a standstill many times. Mm-hmm. like to to a level of being stuck. I mean, because stopping can be positive, but being stuck is not really what as human beings we want
1: to. Exactly. Well, it takes longer to ask all those other questions. It takes longer mm-hmm. to do that kind of exploration, right? You might come up with 15, 20 questions and, okay, let me actually answer each of those questions. And sometimes those answers raise additional questions, So, which is healthy. Like we want to do that. We want to dive deep to get to the real answer. Mm. The reality is, is we live in a world where everybody wants a shortcut.
0: And why is that if we have already seen, especially in the spaces we have talked about, like nonprofit or law and so on, the legal systems, when we have seen that asking the how is actually not working? I mean, that you have even more work because you go around in circles. Is there no one who like really, sees it why are we so stuck in the in the how then
1: um I I think it's a default, right we mm-hmm. as humans we've conditioned ourselves to lots of things we we have um, evolved in certain ways um, and in that evolution in that conditioning, we have created systems for ourselves that encourage, speed. It encourages mm. productivity. It encourages fast answers. And how is a shortcut, right? It's a shortcut question. Mm. Um, how do we get there? Well, where are we going? <laughs> Why do we want to go there? Is that really the right place? What else is a, an alternative? Mm why did we land on this? Who Mm. made that decision? Mm. You know, all those questions come up from like, how do we solve this problem? It's it's, how is the shortcut question that I think has become, I, I think it's a symptom, not has become, I think it's a symptom of that place that we live in, which is how fast can you do this? And there's the question now, like, how fast can you do it? Which is very much
0: sort of the old school conventional way of capitalist thinking in a way, like, you know, fast results now, not thinking about, uh, well, but what will come from that? You know, Mm -hmm. is it really something positive that we are creating here or are we actually... destructive in our, you know, approaches right now. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I see that very much, even when I was still working as a sales manager in the corporate world, it was very much that, like, how do we get there really fast Mm -hmm. now? You know, and that was such a pressure. I can just imagine if every day, you know, millions of people are in that pressure, what kind of energy it creates also. There's no space even to think, hmm, maybe we should slow down because we are going round in circles.
1: There's no space to think. Mm -hmm. I mean, the fact that there are people whose jobs it is to go into organizations to teach them how to create thought time. There's an entire industry of people who are going into organizations and saying, okay, now everybody actually needs to create time on their calendar to think like, is that who we've become? Uh, Yes. It's who we've become. That's an, it's yes. That's who we've become. We've become people who don't, we don't put the emphasis on the thought anymore. And yet it's really interesting So we don't put the emphasis on the time to think, to problem solve, to really, to, to, to get in and do things. And, and here's the thing. I've worked in organizations that are so slow, that Mm. are so slow to make decisions, but they're not putting the time in to think and to Mm. ask the questions. They're not creating that space. It's, it's slow because everybody has an opinion. And then, you think you're going one direction and then somebody has an opinion so you, know you are going to pivot. And so then you start going that direction. Then somebody has another opinion, then you're going to pivot again. And mm-hmm. so actually getting anything done takes forever. And this is systemic within nonprofit, I think as well, mm-hmm. but, um, but I've seen it in the corporate world also. Yeah. Right. But there's no time to think. Yeah. There's no, there's no time to process, to reflect. And to
0: do that, probably at the start of the whole discussion you know to to start with with all these questions we have just said and then go from there and then check in again like okay where are we is this still making sense and then again align and go from there asking the questions right yes I've also seen that a lot the constant back and forth simply because decisions are made fast Mm -hmm. but not with the those why questions let me put it that way and Mm -hmm. with that time to really I mean I love to call it the creative imagination Mm -hmm. you know like really tapping into outside the box thinking also like okay this is what I'm used to doing but what if I step out of that space for a moment and think a little broader what else Mm -hmm. might come to me in terms of solutions we can seek
1: yeah well it's creativity right and that's Mm -hmm. that's the, that creative mind it's mm-hmm. we um it's interesting because in corporate nonprofit someone in the legal world you hear leadership using terms like we um we love people who are creative we love creative mm-hmm. thinking we bring those creative ideas mm-hmm. and yet they don't create space they're not mm-hmm. actually supporting creativity and when people do bring creative ideas they're they're generally like, laughed out of the room mm. um and it's so it's it's not being supportive uh, supported um, from what I've seen and from what I've mm. heard from some of my clients it's like I bring creative idea and I know I'm going to be shot down and mm. um you know I I think I have great ideas but I'm constantly told well that, that that's not gonna work um, so instead of in, truly encouraging people to be creative again we're in a system that is is not encouraging that
0: Mm, yes absolutely and then you know if the system is created a certain way and um, let's say in the business world or nonprofit world we are conditioned to think that way Mm -hmm. then it it becomes very hard to go into a space of allowing those creative ideas to show up because I think there's that general sense like it will never work you know Mm -hmm. what are you telling me because we don't have that time to actually tap into ourselves and maybe the collective, you know, wisdom of the universe. Let me put it that way and ask like, Oh, but maybe, yeah, maybe it is actually possible. Let me see what comes up for me. If I actually honestly consider that creative idea that someone brought up.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, again, so creation, creativity, Mm -hmm. divine feminine, Right goes back to the fact that we create within our womb. So the divine feminine has that I, that creativity. Again, I'm not saying men are not creative. This is not mm. about men versus women. This is divine feminine, divine masculine. Mm. Um, collaboration, divine feminine. Mm. Competitiveness, divine masculine. That is not, and very often, not even divine, right? Because competition is divine masculine. The way it tends to show up in terms of scarcity
0: right mm-hmm. so we we
1: operate from that place of scarcity in our competition like you know i could never play in the same space as somebody else who's doing exactly what i'm doing because they're going to take work away from me mm-hmm. that's not operating in the divine that's that's not operating in a positive way that's right that's the shadow side of it so how do we encourage competition in a way that is a positive And how do we encourage collaboration in a way that can support that? Because collaboration and competition can exist together. Mm. And yet what we see in the marketplace, right? What we see Mm. all the time is this competitive spirit that is just pushing other people down.
0: Yes. It comes from that place that there's not enough for everyone. Mm -hmm. So I have to sort of create opportunities for myself. I have to make sure nothing is taken away from me. I have to make sure that no one passes me because, oh, then they might have more and I have less. It comes from that space, as you say.
1: Which, again, is the whole idea of capitalism in a way. Yeah. Well, and it's what we saw in the nonprofit sector, right? And Mm -hmm. I saw in the legal sector because it's this idea of I'm going to come in and I'm going to tell you exactly what to do
0: because Mm -hmm. I know what
1: to do no 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 you don't need time to think about anything I know exactly what to do I know how to solve this because I I'm I'm the good person doing the good work
0: yes Yes. and (laughs) it also I mean there's even more if you think of certain countries going into other countries starting, you know funding certain projects that's even deeper because it's like okay how do we control the resources there by controlling communities again the idea of scarcity
1: Mm -hmm. oh my gosh yes it's it's but we're doing good, or is that a form of colonialism?
0: <laughs> Absolutely,
1: but, you know, if
0: we don't put the stamp of colonialism on it, then right. no one might notice what's
1: going no, on. We put. in fact, we put a stamp on it that says NGO, so we're doing mm. the good work. Mm. And I'm not saying all NGOs are bad. I'm not no. saying that at all. Not at all. I'm just saying that there are some, some and unfortunately many, um, organizations that go into a situation like that, very demonstrative. It's like, this, this is what we're going to do. This is how you're mm-hmm. going to do And it forces something forward, again, without listening, without collaborating with the existing community. I've seen a trend, even with some of the larger ones, that are starting to lean towards, we're going to go into the community and actually hear from them first before we insert ourselves. So this is we're starting to see that changing, and I'm hoping that that continues in that direction.
0: Yes, I mean, even when I was like many years back, uh, that time in the NGO world, there was that concept. The theory was absolutely there, but it was just not lived, you know? That's what I experienced. And again, I, I agree with you, it's, I think, you know, the nonprofit sector or even the legal sector or whatever is largely made up of people who really want to have a positive impact. But mm-hmm. then, you know, if everyone operates from a place of, as you say, like asking the how and not really listening, then that um, original idea of making a change or contributing positively it can't even come out because everyone is sort of operating in their little limbo Mm -hmm. And what you say, like the positive competition and the collaboration can never truly exist in such a space.
1: Right. Because people's hackles are up, right? The the defenses are up, whether it's from within the community and they're like, hey, hey, you don't actually know what we need. And so they're getting defensive or others that are trying to help solve the problem as well, whose voices aren't being heard Mm -hmm. because of status or or, um, even just how they're identifying. Right, mm. because we still see that where where these there are these um, microaggressions all the time, and those those show up by not not giving credence, not listening, not exploring what everybody is having to say in in the way that it's said. And I've been in boardrooms where this is is like, well, we just don't have time to explore that right now, mm. when it's the only person of color in the room who just brought up an idea. Mm where it's yes. the only woman in the room, or I've been in this one where it's been, been me, where it's the youngest person in the room, mm. I'm in a room with a whole bunch of people in their sixties and seventies. And I'm the youngest person. We just don't have time to, uh, to go into that camp.
0: Mm. Okay. Yes, absolutely. So again, I'm, I'm thinking like, I mean, we could talk about this all day, I know, because <laughs> exactly. there's this, like, you know, collective trauma playing into mm-hmm. it and, like, you know, so much that um, that plays a role there. But what I just sense is, like, the question that comes up for me is still, like, okay, well, then, but how do we sort of break out of that? You know, how do we?
1: You're asking the how. Yes. And there I'm stuck. Yeah. Yes. What needs to change? So it's very similar to how, but what needs to change?
0: Yeah.
1: You know what needs to change is, in my opinion, we need to continue to elevate the those that are starting to lead from the divine place of divine feminine mm. right, to people who are embracing that um, in whatever leadership capacity they're in, so that we can start to balance that divine masculine, and divine feminine. Mm. So that we can find a new way forward because quite frankly the way that we are moving forward now is not working for most people
2: Mm.
1: and that's kind of across the board yeah and so how like that how is going to get us stuck in looking for a direct action step
2: Mm.
1: versus what what needs to change what's possible right now who needs to be involved and in my opinion the who that needs to be involved is we do need to encourage leadership of of all kinds mm. to listen more like if yeah. that's if that's a step that we can take that i think can start to shift the dynamics
0: mm. that's such a powerful like summary and a wonderful end to this episode of Three Candid Questions. Thank you so much, Kim, for all your insights and, you know, making it sort of a very vivid,
1: clear picture for everyone to understand what's going on. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been an honor. Thanks.
0: Hmm. So tell me, what did you take away from my conversation with Kim? What was the one thing where you said like, aha, yes, this is what I also want to bring to the table going forward when I want to create big, bigger systems, better systems, more sustainable systems that work in favor of humanity. I'm very curious to know, so as usual, feel free to reach out to share your thoughts, your comments, your love. Three kind questions loves you and we are looking forward to welcoming you on season three very soon. So stay tuned.